Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Welcome to today's episode. I'm talking to the incredible Kristen Neff, author of the new book, Fierce Self-Compassion, how women can harness kindness to speak up, claim their power, and thrive. If you don't know who Kristen is, she's kind of a big deal in the self-compassion world. She's one of the leading voices, and I quoted her several times in my book, The Anxiety Solution. And we get into talking about why the words fierce and kind don't often come together and why she thinks that they should come together and why she's written a whole book about this. She shares her own journey to self-compassion because it hasn't always been easy for Kristen. And this is the reality of self-compassion. It is, it's something that should be so simple, just being kind to ourselves. And yet so many of us seem to struggle with it. And she shares her own story around this. She discusses why she wrote this book specifically for women. Now, if you are a man listening to this, or if you're non-binary, you can absolutely gain so much from this episode, but there is a slight slant towards talking about women because that's what the book is uh, about. We get into this question, which I often ask myself and often ask other people, which is, why is it so hard for us to be kind to ourselves? Is it something that is learned? Is it something that's innate? And Kristen just gives the perfect answer to this. And we also get into why anger can actually be a good thing and why it's not often acceptable for us to be angry in our culture and, you know, why and how we can start to tap into that and use that as a force for good. She also answers this question again. This is something that I often hear people saying. I hear people say, you know, if I'm kind to myself, will I just sit on the sofa all day and want to eat ice cream? And that's what I think is going to happen if I'm too kind to myself. If I, don't, if I stop beating myself up, then... I will just be lazy and nothing will get done. And she just shares such a brilliant perspective on this that if you're thinking this way or you've been prone to thinking that way, it's really going to turn things around for you. So I wanted to share something new that I've created to help you to get your happiness back in 10 minutes or less. And it's for you if you feel as though you're stuck in a rut and you can't seem to stop negative thoughts from spiraling. This is for you if you're having a bad day, a bad week or a bad month and you want to turn things around quickly if you're feeling a bit low and you'd love to feel lighter and brighter, or if you beat yourself up and you want to be kind to yourself. So I want to introduce you to the Positivity Reset Toolkit. It's a new toolkit that I've made to support you in turning a bad day into a better one in just a few minutes. I've created five strategies that can fit into your everyday life to help you to feel more positive. 
With the Positivity Reset Toolkit, you can prepare yourself for reduced stress levels, restored optimism, and uncontrollable smiling. For all the details and to get this toolkit now, head over to my website, karma-u.com forward slash positive. That's karma, C-A-L-M-E-R hyphen Y-O-U.com forward slash positive. So let's get into the interview with Kristen Neff. Brilliant. So welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining me on the Karma You podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Chloe. Thanks so much for having me. Huge congratulations on your new book, Fierce Self-Compassion. Can you share a little bit, I suppose firstly, about about what you do and how you came to to write this book? Yeah, well, so I, I do, I study self-compassion. I've been studying it for almost 20 years now. And what I started realizing in my research, but even more importantly, in people's reactions to self-compassion, is that people didn't really understand that there is both a fierce as well as tender side of self-compassion. Right, so tender, most of us think of the tender side, which is the nurturing, soothing, comforting side of, of compassion. There's also a fierce side, which I like to call the, the fierce mama bear side of self-compassion, which is if you need to protect yourself or draw boundaries or say no to other people or motivate change, right? That's also an important part of self-compassion. So I, 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 first of all, I started understanding that people didn't realize that. And then second, I started realizing that traditional gender role socialization really inhibits women's ability to be fierce. You know, we're supposed to be nice and just do what other people want. And sometimes it can be a little hard for us to really stand up for ourselves. So that's why I wrote this book, Just for Women, to talk about not only the ideas, but also provide actual practices and exercises people could use to develop their fierceness. And it's such a good book. And it really got me thinking about so many different things I hadn't really considered before. And you you bring together all of this you know, all of the studies and the data that that backs up what you're saying. You know, I suppose, as you say, the, the words fierce and kind don't often come together. And it is, it's almost like, right. um, yeah, it's, it almost seems like an oxymoron or something. But yeah, can you say a, a bit more about why, why is it important to have this, this fierce self-compassion? Yeah, well, and that's partly why I like kind of the shock value of it, because it, does seem like an oxymoron. And yet, you know, if you think of the word fierce in terms of being really brave and courageous and intense, I mean, think of like a firefighter who jumps into a burning building to save the people inside, you know, risking their life. I mean, that's an incredible act of compassion, right? Or or the people maybe that are trapped in the building, maybe they're on the second floor and they need to jump out of the second floor window to save their life. That's also an incredible act of compassion. So I think part of the problem is, again, I, th- I think gender roles stand in the way. I think because compassion is seen to be a female thing and compassion and women are given less power in society. They're considered, you know, weaker, not as brave, just again, not, not in reality, but just in terms of stereotypes. I think in a way that limits people's appreciation of the power of compassion. And so what I tried to do in this book is stand everything on their head, especially with, I talk a lot about fierce mama bear. I mean, that is one context in which women are really allowed to be fierce. In fact, they're celebrated for being fierce, which is when they're protecting their children. 
and in many ways, self-compassion is, is like reparenting ourselves, right? Sometimes we need to do that with tenderness. We need to um, love ourselves unconditionally the way we might a child, uh, really support ourselves, comfort ourselves, soothe ourselves. But also sometimes we do need to protect ourselves, stand up for ourselves. And that's uh, an equally important part of self-compassion. So interesting. Yeah, a lot of the people that I speak to really struggle with things like people pleasing and, you know, giving feedback or being able to stand up for themselves and speak their minds. And I think a lot of it, and I know you talk about this in the book, comes down to the way that we're raised as as women yes. and how, yes. you know, those things are kind of programmed into us from an early age. Can you can you talk a little bit about that, about the the differences that that girls have growing up compared with boys, maybe? Yeah. So women have very different reactions to girls. Um, so first of all, we are raised to be self-sacrificing, right? A, a, a valued trait in women, especially is being agreeable, being nice, being helpful, right? More so even than, than boys. And so our sense of worth is really wrapped up in, do people think I'm nice? And what, what counts as nice? Well, basically saying yes to whatever they ask of us. Um, and in many ways, mm-hmm. our self-esteem, you might say, is contingent. It's contingent on other people liking us. And so w- one of the things that self-compassion gives us is the ability to like ourselves, right? So in other words, when we start to meet our own emotional needs for acceptance, for love, for care, for support, we aren't so dependent on other people liking us or thinking we're nice. And that's one of the ways that self-compassion frees us by allowing us to be more emotionally independent, you might say, of the, of the opinions of others. And it doesn't mean that therefore we're going to become rude and selfish, you know, quite the opposite. If we, if we care about ourselves, we want good, healthy relationships. But the, the reason we say yes is different. We don't say yes in a manipulative way to get other people to like us. We say it in an authentic way because we want to help. And that's really quite different. So that, that's one way the socialization is different. And then the other big way is emotions like anger, right? So girls and boys, when they're upset, when they're little, parents will interpret the girl being upset as sadness and the boy being upset as anger. And throughout growing up, uh, male anger is okay. It's actually considered a sign of strength. People are more convinced by a man when he's angry, if he holds an opinion. And for a woman, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> you know, anger is seen, mm-hmm. seen as a sign of being crazy. And women, people are less convinced by a woman when she's angry because they think it means she's, you know, off her rocker and therefore why should they believe her? And this is a problem because, you know, anger serves a really important function. You know, I'm not talking about anger where you call people names and you harm others, but anger, which is like, this is not okay. It's, it uh, really focuses us. It um, alerts people, ourselves including that, included that something's wrong and needs to change. That type of anger can be very helpful. And so really fierce self-compassion in many ways is a political act just because by, by claiming this side of ourselves, we're really going against all the gender role socialization that says we should just be compliant and submissive and nice. So it was a lot of fun to write. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And, you know, there's this idea, isn't there, that women are naturally, you know, nicer or kinder. And actually, you know, a lot of these things are things that are placed on us from society and the ideas that we're brought up 
um, with. And it's really interesting to explore that. I think I remember reading a book a few years ago. I think it was called Maybe It's Not Depression. And it was about how very often feelings like anxiety are the result of us suppressing our other emotions like anger. And it it uses up a lot of energy to suppress your anger and can actually create anxiety on the surface level. So, you know, there's so many benefits to maybe tuning into our anger more or do you recommend that people you know punch pillows or how how can people (laughs) maybe connect with their anger more or yeah yeah so I have I have a whole chapter on anger in my book and I've got some practices to help people connect with their anger Um, and again for, for me it's all about integrating or balancing fierceness and tenderness so if you're really fierce but you do it in a way that, again, that's harmful, that harms others or harms yourself. So for instance, like running away with your anger, ruminating on it, that also harms you. So we want to be able to feel the power and the energy of our anger, especially the motivational aspect that helps us stand up for what's right. But we don't want to do it in a way that has our hearts closed or hating other people because that's going to be harmful. So I actually have concrete practices in my book where people work with the energies of fierceness and tenderness in your in your body, including the energy of anger, and really just allowing it to flow, working with it kind of with some mindfulness. And there actually can be quite effective in allowing yourself to be angry in a way that's not destructive. And so again, we, we do have to be careful about anger. We can We can run away with anger. We can do things that we regret. But we also need to be careful about repressing our anger because that can also be a problem, right? It can lead to like self-criticism, for instance. You have to direct the anger somewhere. So sometimes the anger gets directed internally. And that's also very harmful just in terms of things like cortisol levels and, you know, high blood pressure. So all of this really needs to be worked with. And the important thing, I think the really useful thing about fierce self-compassion, in other words, framing all this as faces of love or faces of kindness, is women are really kind of open to the idea of compassion. So if you go to any one of my workshops, you know, 85% of the people that come are women. <laughs> and that's because women know the power of compassion. You know, they've been raised to be compassion experts. So even though they aren't raised to give compassion to themselves, they're mainly raised to give it to others, it's not such a big leap to think, oh, I see, yeah, this is a really good, powerful force. I could turn it inward to help myself. Right. So even though men, in some ways, they actually have slightly higher levels of self-compassion because they're raised to, you know, they feel like they're entitled to meet their own needs in a way that women aren't. They're also much more wary of the idea of compassion as a good thing because it's a female thing, right? They think it's going to weaken them. So it's it's really a mixed bag for women. They're they're more open to the to the understanding that compassion is a powerful force for good in the world. So what they, all they really need to do is A, learn to make a U-turn so they give that compassion to themselves. And B, when, when we start realizing, and I know this has been a big journey for me, when women start realizing that, you know, this side of us, and I think all women intuitively know it. You can call it mama bear. There's metaphors like the, the Hindu goddess Kali or Durga. I mean, a lot of these images of this very powerful female energies which tap into this ferocity, you know, that is part of our nature as well. We just are really discouraged from tapping into it. So I think when women start to learn that you can tap into it, and as long as you do it intentionally as a force for good, as opposed to just being like wantonly destructive, this is something that can really help us. I know it certainly helped me in my life. 
Yeah. And, and, and could you share a little bit about how it how it helped you in your life? I mean, was this something that you have struggled with in the past and you've, you've kind of learned how to how to in- integrate this into your yourself? Yes. Well, so I, I'm my nature, the way I'm wired is reactive anger is I'm quick to reactive anger and it's something I've worked with for years. And by the way, I'm not going to pretend to say I've totally mastered it. It does seem to be part of my wiring. <laughs> And, you know, I'm better at not exploding, for instance, and I'm really good at apologizing. And, you know, I, I, but it's something I still need to work with. People are just wired differently. But what I have learned is that energy source in me is actually partly what's allowed me to accomplish so much in my life, right? I'm very determined. I'm very focused. I'm very passionate about what I believe in. And these have been really good things in my life. So you can't just like cut out one part of yourself. And, you know, and so, yeah, there's some negative effects that we need to be careful of, but there's a lot of positive effects that we need to also um, honor. So a lot of my journey has been really claiming my fierceness, realizing that this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a, a very powerful thing. And especially the more we can harness it for good intentionally, So one example that I talk about in this book is I had a a Me Too experience, right? Someone that I was very close to turned out to be a mini Harvey Weinstein, was abusing women at the place he, you know, his employees where he worked. It was just really awful. And my fierceness is what allowed me to just like stand up and speak up and say, this is not going to continue. I mean, a lot of the women involved just kind of wanted to like, you know, get over it and, and not think about it and forget about it because women are taught not to rock the boat, you know. And for years and years, women, when men would be sexual predators or abuse their authorities, we would just say, oh, that's the way men are. You know, we, we shouldn't really speak up. And I think the Me Too movement is a fierce self-compassion movement for women as we say, no, it's not okay. We are going to speak up. We aren't going to let this continue. And so I really saw in that experience how my fierceness was a real plus in that situation because it made me focus, it made me committed to preventing harm. And I was trying to help, you know, the other women involved, some of them came more naturally than others, but a few of the women involved, they had a real hard time accessing their anger. And that's when I started realizing, wow, this is something that women need to work on. We need to counter that that history of gender role socialization that says you shouldn't speak up, you shouldn't rock the boat, you know, just be nice, just be compliant. That's actually in many ways kept us down. And it's time. We're time to let that one go. I'm I'm convinced that it's time to let that one go and that women need to be able to access their fierceness to do good in the world. There's a lot that needs to be done. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's such a timely, timely topic that you're discussing this book. I mean, one thing that I hear so much, I suppose this is more about self-compassion generally, is why why are we so critical of ourselves? Why do we give ourselves such a hard time? And something so simple like being kind of us, kind to ourselves can sometimes seem like an impossible task or something that we're constantly working towards. Could, could you share a bit about why why that is? Like, again, is it is it something that's wired in? Is it something that we learn? Well, I think I think both actually. And by the way the vast majority of people are significantly more compassionate to others than to themselves. So it's very, very common. Um, So I Mm -hmm. think there are probably both biological and cultural factors. So I'll deal with each of them. The cultural factors are that we have a lot of misunderstandings about self-compassion. You know, we think it's going to make us weak 
or that it's going to undermine our motivation or it's going to lead us to, you know, blow off responsibility or maybe just be self-indulgent. The research is very clear. It's the exact opposite, right? When you care about yourself, you're more motivated to reach your goals. You're more able to take responsibility because it's safe to do so, right? If it's okay to be imperfect, um, you're, you're more likely to engage in healthy behaviors because um, you care about yourself. And also an, another misconception is that it's selfish. And what we know from the research very clearly is the more compassion you give inward, the more resources you have available to give to others. So these are cultural myths that stand in the way. But I also do think there's a, a physiological reason that's kind of understandable so um, we have two main safety systems as, as human beings that evolved. We have the, the threat defense system and we have the care system, right? The care system is usually aimed at others. This is what, you know, promotes parents to want to care for their child, their infant, that prompts infants to want to stay safe and cared for by the parents. And this helped us evolve. And we also have the threat defense system, which is anytime there's a threat or a danger, we go into fight, flight, or flee mode. And this, even reptiles share this system, right? This is very ancient. So what happens, let's say, when we fail or make a mistake is we typically go into fight, flight, or flee mode, right? But when the threat is ourselves, because we've done something wrong, we, we fight ourselves, we try, we criticize ourselves, we beat ourselves up, thinking that somehow that's going to help us change and help us to be safe. Or are we flee in shame, right? That feeling that other people are going to attack us and judge us. So we withdraw in shame as a self-protective mechanism. Or we freeze and we get stuck. We ruminate. We go around and around in our heads. You know, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I'm like this. Again, it's, these are safety behaviors. Now, when your child or when maybe your loved one, a friend makes a mistake or fails, you aren't so personally threatened. So you're more able to access your care system, that feeling of, you know, safety through belonging and connection towards them than you are to yourself. And so what we're doing with self-compassion is it's kind of like a hack, like, you know, it's a hack around the system. We're turning the system that's actually more designed to care for others and we're accessing it by doing this U-turn. We're treating ourselves the way we might normally treat those we care about. And then we're using this care system to help us feel safe. And it's actually much more effective and has much fewer negative consequences. Such a good description, such a clear description of it. And, and yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I love that, you know, there is evidence to suggest that being kind to ourselves definitely is more beneficial. And, and yet, yeah, I hear so often people saying, if I was kind to myself, I'd never get things done or I'd sit on the sofa all day and eat ice cream. But, Actually, you know, it is. Yeah, that, but that to wouldn't ourself. be kind to yourself. They'd be harming yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like right. using constructive criticism, encouragement to make a change as opposed to, you know, you're so worthless. I mean, I'm sorry, but shame is not exactly a get up and go mind state. We, we know that from our own experience, you know, it just makes yes. you feel depressed and not want to do anything. But saying, I believe in you. I've got your back. How can I help? That's going to be actually a lot more effective. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Are there some practical things that people can do to to build their self-compassion or to connect with their fierce self-compassion? Is there anything that you can that people can do, you know, maybe as they're listening to this podcast or after after they've listened? Yes. I mean, that's the great thing about self-compassion is it's not just a good idea. It actually is a practice. I first learned about self-compassion when I was learning mindfulness meditation. 
And um, in the Buddhist tradition, compassion is something you practice. There are certain exercises and meditations you can do to develop your compassion muscles. And so from that tradition, with my colleague, Chris Germer, we've developed something called the Mindful Self-Compassion Program. Uh, it's an eight-week program, and we've developed a ton of concrete practices, some meditations, but also just things you can do in your daily life to develop self-compassion. And these are all empirically um, supported. There's a lot of research showing that it works. And then so for this book, I've also added in some specially focused fierce self-compassion practices. They're really just adaptations of the practices we've already developed for the Mindful Self-Compassion Program, but which are specifically designed to, again, call up this fierce energy, whether it's anger, whether it's protection, whether it's motivation, whether it's just this determination to meet your own needs. So it calls up, these practices call it the fierce energy. And then was always then integrated with kind of the tender accepting energy so that we can attain balance. And so there are a lot of practices in this book. And if people go to my website, which is selfcompassion.org, just Google self-compassion, you'll find me. I have a fierce self-compassion page and I have free practices on my website available. So, you know, you don't have to take my word for it. You can try it out and see how they work for you. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. So, so another thing I was wondering is, one thing that just popped into my mind was, if people have got children, maybe they've got little girls, and they're wondering about how to encourage more fierce self-compassion. I know that, just a quote from your book, you, you wrote, little girls are told to use a nicer voice three times more than little boys. I wonder, right. are there things that people can do to encourage their children to, I mean, I suppose just being aware of that could be, could be really useful when they're, when you're raising yes, children. Yes. Well, so first of all, modeling is one of the best way to teach children. We know that one of the ways people learn self-compassion is through modeling. So for instance, let's say you break a glass or you make a mistake. Not that you could ever make a mistake as a parent, but let's say hypothetically it were to happen, <laughs> right? then this is actually, you can think of this as a very good opportunity to model self-compassion for your children. And so, you know, this may be like, again, that more of the tender self-compassion. If you make a mistake, you could say, oh, you know, it's okay. Everyone makes a mistake. I'm only human, right? What can I learn from this situation? So you model that. Um, Also, sometimes if you need to stand up for yourself, really modeling, what does that look like to be fierce, to draw your boundaries, you know, to say no if you need to. Again, not from a place of hate or, or, you know, viciousness, but just from a place of care and kindness towards yourself. So you can, you can model it. Also, I think, you know, really, and I don't have a girl. I only have a boy. So this is me talking theoretically just to make this clear. But I know in general, and I do this with my son, the more you explain why it's important to do something, the more you explain what's happening, the better it is for the child because they can understand more clearly, you know, why something's helpful or not. And so I think if you under explain to girls that there is this expectation that we be nice and really kind of explain that, first of all, your own love is unconditional towards your child. So they can make mistakes. They can get it wrong. It's okay. That, But you're also going to draw firm boundaries in the sense that you care about them and you're going to have boundaries about what's okay or not. But really just understanding that some people may not, this is a kicker. We have to accept this for ourselves. Some people actually may not like us quite as much if we're authentic 
and we draw our boundaries and we assert ourselves. And that's okay, right? In other words, we don't want our happiness to be dependent on other people, you know, liking us if it means we have to give up our true self and subordinate ourselves to other people's needs. I mean, the system, if you think about it, is rigged against women. The system is designed so that women will be compliant and you know help other people and not themselves. And so I think you can just talk about all this very honestly about how we need to, we want to be kind, we want to be caring, but we want to do it for the right reasons, not in a manipulative way to get other people to like us because that whole system causes a lot of problems, right? And it does support the subordination of women. And if we're going to be powerful and claim our place, you know, at the tables of power, We need to be able to be authentic and not go along with the system the way it's been for thousands of years. Boundaries are such a big topic, I think, at the moment. And it's one of those things that I think it is, as you say, it's linked to, you know, if I set this boundary, this person won't like me or I'll upset them or they'll get angry at me. And, you know, I hear so many people struggling with boundaries. And yet I suppose that's another way of Another way that we can be kinder to ourselves is to set boundaries. Yes, and you're also modeling that for others. Yeah. So, what, what would you what would you say to people who are really, you know, scared to set boundaries and and you know, you know, really know that they need to because they're burning out or they're you know not happy because right. they're not able to set those boundaries. Well, so that so first of all, remembering that you can set boundaries in a kind way. You need to be firm, but kind. You don't have to insult anyone when you're doing it. So, you know, politeness, you can be polite about it, all that. And by the way, I know a lot of British women. I have a lot of British friends and I know it's particularly hard in British culture. This idea of politeness is so entrenched in the culture that I've seen it be a problem for some British woman I know because, you know, the, the whole value is based on being polite and agreeable. So first of all, you know, there's a couple positive things about setting boundaries. And again, you can do it politely, but firmly. One, what you're doing, especially when it's with other women, is you're modeling this. You're actually helping other women when you actually say out loud something like, I would really love to be able to help, but you know, I just can't, I need to, you know, do whatever it is you need to do and just be unapologetic about it. I know in British culture, it's always, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And that almost <laughs> gives the message that if you do it too much, it gives the message that you're doing something wrong. You know, just really, really owning the ability to say no, it's okay to say no, you know, kindly, but firmly. Also, again, one of the things about self-compassion, one of the gifts it gives you is it helps you have an unconditional sense of self-worth. The research actually shows this, that when you train in self-compassion, your worth becomes less contingent on other people liking you, for instance, or the way you look, right? Because when you give yourself compassion, you're saying, I'm worthy just because I'm a human being, intrinsically worthy of respect. I'm going to care for myself. I'm going to meet my own needs. And when you do that, you become less dependent on the approval of others. And that gives you a lot more freedom to say no. Right. And, you know, and again, you have to, you have to know that some people may like you a little bit less if you're less agreeable. <laughs> but then again, what type of, some people will like you more because you're more authentic. Right. And so a lot of this comes down to our values. What do we want in life? Do we want to be happy? Do we want to be our authentic selves? Do we want to be able to meet our own needs? Do we want to be able to reach our full potential? 
Or do you want to be totally dependent on other people liking us, doing what other people say we should do, you know, being timid in life? You know, it's, it's, uh, where do we want the source of our happiness to, to lie? Is it inside of us or outside of us? And if it's inside of us, we have a lot more freedom to uh, do what we want in life. When you put it like that, it makes, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> I had that experience recently where I was sharing with a friend that I don't have any calls on a Wednesday and I just carve out that time to focus on creative projects. And um, I think it did, you know, I shared that sometimes it's a bit scary to say to people, no, actually, sorry, I can't do Wednesdays. I never do any calls on Wednesdays. And she, you know, it, it really gave her permission to carve out more time for herself and to, you know, say no to, you know, carving out a bit more white space into her diary. So yeah, it's such an interesting idea that when yeah. we're setting boundaries, actually we're role modeling to other women, you know, that it's okay to do this and giving people That's permission. That's right, exactly. And if everyone just, if otherwise we're just role modeling, okay, give up your entire life. Don't take anything for yourself. That's what a good woman does. You know, do we really want to agree with that message? In many ways, what self-compassion is, it's just answering this question, what do I need to alleviate my suffering, to, ha- to be happy? I mean, that's really what is this concern for well-being that's at the heart of compassion. So self-compassion is concern for our own well-being. And so really asking yourself, what do I need? And that's going to look different for every single person. It's going to change over time. It, but it's really taking that pause and, and giving yourself permission to ask that question. What do I really need for my well-being? And then giving yourself permission to do what you need to do. And that that may look a lot of different ways. Sometimes you need to go left. Sometimes you need to go right. No one from the outside can tell you what's the right thing to do. But you have the wisdom. You know what's right for you, or or at least you can explore what's right for you. And I think we really need to do that in order to be authentic and happy. And that's one of the things the research very clearly shows is Self-compassion increases authenticity. It increases happiness. Again, it makes our sense of worth less contingent on pleasing other people or looking a certain way or, or even success. I mean, that's amazing. Self-compassion, you know, self-compassion is a constant friend. It's there for you when you succeed, but also when you fall flat on your face. We need a friend like that, you know, uh, and we can be that good friend to ourselves. Yeah, I love I love that around. Yeah, what what do we recognizing what we need? And I remember I was speaking to a client recently, and the idea that she had needs was like a new idea. She'd never really allowed herself to consider that she had needs. It almost felt really self indulgent. So I'm really yes, hoping that people yes. listening to this can can know that it's you know you're human, you have needs, and it's okay to to listen to what those are and to get to know them and, and take action on them. But if you really think about it, where does that socialization come from? That women don't have needs, their only, their only role in life is to serve others. You know, if you start looking at it, mm. that comes from the patriarchy. You know, it, mm. it got, I gotta say the P word. <laughs> There's a reason we have those messages and men don't get those messages quite the same way. Not, not, I mean, men are also harmed by gender socialization. For instance, they aren't allowed to get in touch with their tender feelings. And that harms men, it reduces our emotional intelligence, you know, it causes problems. So you know, I think it harms everyone. But I think women need to really question, why are those norms there? Oh, I see. Back in the day, that really helped the people in power. And one of the things that's happening now is those 
those power structures are changing. Women are, you know, starting to say, hey, it's not okay anymore. I'm not just going to be subservient. I'm going to claim what I need to be happy. And along the way, we're going to help this world, which is quickly going to hell in a handbasket because of like unbridled greed and, you know, exploitation. And there's so, so many issues in the world. And I, I honestly believe that women are going to have to be part of the solution, right? This ethic, the ability to understand the power of compassion is going to be needed to help our world. And so this is the time for women, I think, just to step up to the plate. I think a really important tool for women as we step up to the challenges facing our world today is fierce as well as tender self-compassion and compassion for others. Of course, it's like, it's not, it's just, it's not just inward. It's also outward. What happens with women is we're compassion experts for other people. And we aren't allowed to be compassionate to ourselves because, you know, just because of the way we've been socialized. So this is the shift that I'm seeing in the world. And I'm trying to do everything I can to help. (laughs) yeah it's amazing what you're doing and I feel I feel fired up just talking to you I feel like yeah I need to want to connect more to that fierceness and um yeah so I suppose the last question I really wanted to ask you and this was something I followed your work for quite a while now and one of the things that has stood out to me that I've always remembered since I discovered your work is this idea that self-compassion is more important than self-esteem. I don't know if you use the word more important, but it's actually, can you say a bit about that, about what's the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion and why you think self-compassion is actually the thing to focus on? Yeah. So um, so first of all, self-compassion gives you a sense of self-esteem. So it's not so much either or, but it's really what's what's the source of your sense of self-worth. So self-esteem is, is a, is a positive judgment or evaluation of your self-worth, right? You, you judge yourself based on your performance or your looks or how popular you are. You judge yourself as being a good person or a bad person or somewhere in between. So it's conditional, right? And it, it's not only it's conditional, it's comparative. Usually people have high self-esteem. They feel worthy when they're special and above average. You know, it's not okay to be average which is a problem because by definition, we're all average, right? So it leads to social comparison. You know, is she more successful than me or you know, is she prettier than me? And we kind of are always like ranking ourselves next to others, which leads to social disconnection. Self-esteem is an, un- sorry, self-compassion is an unconditional source of self-worth. It's not a judgment or an evaluation. It's just you, you know, every single human being is intrinsically worthy of compassion and care. When you're born, you don't say to that baby, okay, when, once you get your, you know, master's degree, then you'll be worthy of kindness, you know. No, it's like, it's like our birthright. And so with self-compassion, we have this unconditional sense that we're worthy of care, concern, kindness, support. Again, it also means we take responsibility. It's not like we can do whatever we want without consequence, but we care about ourselves and that actually allows us to care about others. And so what the research shows is if you look at the difference between self-compassion and self-esteem, self-compassion is just a much healthier source of self-worth. It's not comparative. You don't have to be better than anyone to have self-compassion. You just have to be a flawed human being like everyone else. Oh, that I can do that, right? It's not a contingent on success. You have it when you fail, also when you succeed. It's not contingent on the way you look or the people liking you. So it's a much more stable form of self-worth that offers, you know, the mental health benefits of self-esteem, but really from a more uh, stable and healthy source. 
Yeah, okay. That, yeah, that makes so much sense. So yeah, it's, it's not contingent on what we do or what we don't do. It's actually something that's more stable right. and a skill that we can develop that can help us and support us um, through whatever we Or doing. how we look. I mean, for women, it's the number one domain in which women base their self-esteem is that perceived attractiveness. Right. You know, and think about that, right? That a woman's worth mm. is based on how attractive she is, especially to a man. I mean, historically, like that was our worth in order to get married. And, you know, all think of all that's tied to that. Even, even women with PhDs, their number one source of self-worth is their perceived appearance. And so with self-compassion, right. stepping back and saying, wait a second, I'm not so sure I want to buy into this, right? Is that really where my worth comes? Or does my worth stem from the fact that I'm human and I love and I cry and I laugh and I'm going through, you know, moment by moment as best I can. And once you really shift that framework, um, everything else changes. And there's a lot of freedom in self-compassion, which is, which is a beautiful thing. So, so powerful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything you shared. So, so interesting. And the book is brilliant and it's loads of really nice practical exercises and stories and um, a lot of the research behind everything you're saying. It's so, so good. Where can people find out more about you and and what you're up to and and get your book and all of that? So if you want to find me, again, just Google self-compassion. You'll find my website, selfcompassion.org. You can take the self-compassion test, the scale I developed. You can see videos. You can find practices, meditations, all for free. If you're a science nerd, you can find the research, the actual PDFs of the articles. And I have, so I just have, it's really a good starting place to learn about self-compassion. And the book in the UK comes out July 8th. So you can pre-order that. Or if it's already out when this podcast comes out, you can, you can just get that on Amazon in the UK. Brilliant. Yeah. And the book is called Fierce Self-Compassion. Yes. Fierce Self-Compassion. How women can harness kindness to speak up, claim their power and thrive. So it really is through the doorway of kindness, which is the amazing thing. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chloe. It's been a lot of fun. You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotheridge. Don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions. Please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.